Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, Bronco fans, have I got good news for you. The Denver Broncos are going to be back on TV in Utah this weekend. Now, I know somebody who hates the Broncos is screaming at the steering wheel right now, and I'm going to send DJ an email and tell him I'm never going to listen to watch him again. Here's the good news for me. If we run the Broncos, yes, someone will say that. If we don't run the Broncos, someone will say that. It'll just be a Denver fan. You are very, very interested in which game is televised in the Utah market. Last week, we had Baltimore and Buffalo, and it was the lowest-rated NFL game of the year. Now, certainly, it had some stiff competition because the Niners and the Saints had that shootout over on uh, Fox at the same time. But it's not like people were watching in the first quarter and then switched over when that Niner-Ram game got real interesting. Now, Never really gave the Ravens and Bills a chance. Which are two playoff teams, and honestly, if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, are you surprised? Do you realize who they've beaten this year? They have beaten the Patriots. They have beaten the Texans. They did lose to the Chiefs. They've beaten the Niners. They've beaten the Seahawks. They've beaten the Bills. They're like 5-1 and one against playoff teams. If the Rams find a way to catch Minnesota and get in, then the Ravens will be 6-1 and because they beat those guys too. I'm telling you, the Ravens are very good. They are clear. And it doesn't mean they can't mess a game up in the playoffs, but they are very good. Anyway, it'll be Denver and Kansas City in the morning game, and we don't get a doubleheader this week. So there's your NFL update. All right, coming up next, the Jazz are playing the Warriors tonight. Originally, this was going to be an 8.30 game, and it was going to be national TV, but I don't know if you noticed the Warriors are terrible. And they're bailing. The national TV networks are bailing. So this game's back to 7 o'clock. It's on AT&T Sportsnet. You'll listen to it on The Zone. We'll talk Jazz. PK and I with Tim Lacombe. Coming up next, stay with us. PK, time to talk some jazz basketball and a little college hoops as well with Tim Lacombe, former BYU assistant, worked at the U before that, now on the jazz pre-half and post-game shows. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Get an iPhone 11 on us when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease and eligible trade-in now through December 5. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Tim, good morning. Great to be with you, uh, with DJ and Lucifer. It's been a while since we've heated things up. You want to react to that, Lucifer, or no? Just going to let that slide. He's sitting over in the corner with his pitchfork. Slight grin. I'm I'm recording this. Okay, good. (laughs) For posterity. Before we get I just heard a little sound bite. Somebody called you guys DJ and Lucifer or something. I liked it and thought I'd use it today. Thought I'd get a little better response so my bad no I, they'll come a time they'll be payback <laughs> that I always payback always always so is that what happened with the jazz is minnesota the wrong team to show up at the wrong time when the jazz had finally had it you got to bottom out before you bounce back and all that stuff you know I, it's funny because right after the game we talked about it and, and uh with david and ron and i mean obviously i think there's something to the fact that 
Minnesota's not a great defensive team, but it's still in the way the, the way the Jazz did it. You know, it wasn't that they just continued to kind of try to do it their way. There was kind of a, in my mind, there was kind of a flip that was switched, and uh, they they definitely started to try to make plays for each other. You know, everybody talks about the blunder, but the blunder's got to start by somebody making a play, almost give themselves up, get two on the ball, um, and then move the ball quickly. And that's kind of what they did last night more often than they had. So it was a, it was a great night, and they ended up getting a lot of the shots that looked like jazz basketball. So I think the thing with Ingles is that his mindset was much different, and he came out right from the start looking to score, looking to be aggressive, and help his team offensively. You know, I think you can count on him giving all he's got on the defensive end every night. I don't think that's a question. But offensively, whether it's a form of being tentative or the lineups that he's with, whatever it is, we're not sure what he's going to do offensively. And then when he produces a game like he did against the Timberwolves, well, I would imagine the chances of the Jazz winning are probably over 80%. So with that in mind, what needs to happen to make sure, and he may not have the quality of game that he had against the Timberwolves all the time, because if he did, then he would be a potential all-star. But what needs to happen for him to get to that level as much as possible? I think you said it. I think his mindset. Um, you know, last night he came out, and, and I think maybe starting has something to do with it. You know, that the whole idea of him kind of sacrificing a little bit for the team may have done something to his mindset. But to me, last night he came out, in the first eight possessions and took five shots. Um, and he wasn't forcing things. You know, they were good shots, and they're shots that you you want Joe to take. And, and so I think just what you said, I think his mindset needs to be one that, because he's, he's such a great player that he understands, like Joe doesn't really force bad shots, you know, and, and he plays such a great pace coming off the ball screen, and he kind of can get guys in the right spots. So, I liked his aggressive mindset um, with the ball in his hands to to make a play, which may just take a lot of pressure off everybody else to start a game. I'm of the opinion that he's much better with the starting group than the bench group, especially when he gets to run the pick and roll with Rudy. Is that because the other guys are new, or is that because Joe's skill set just meshes with those players who are starting better? I think it's it's probably a combination of both. But my feeling on Joe is that he, uh, you know, the one thing that he he does a great job at, and Donovan even kind of poked fun at him last week. But talk to when we were coaching, we talk to our guys all the time about coming off the ball screen with a really good pace, um, not have your mind predetermined as, as to what you're going to do. And there was a play in the game last night where Joe came off, got to the lane, Rudy rolled, um, and you know, easily, Joe could have shot a tough, tough floater, um, but instead he waited for Rudy, waited for the defense to commit, kind of scooped the ball underhand to Rudy for a dunk. You know, and it's just the plays like that. He just has a real great feel for not only pick and roll, but personnel on the Jazz team within the pick and roll. Um, you know, I think one of the things they're struggling with right now is um, guys like Moutier, for instance. He comes off the pick and roll 100 miles an hour hell-bent on getting to the rim, when in reality what your goal should be is come off the ball screen, read how you're being played, you know, by both the guys involved in the pick-and-roll, but also where's the help, 
and what can I do quickly to spin this ball so that we can get these guys in rotation. And that's what the whole game's about. So generally, we've seen so far that Conley has been somewhat, if not a major disappointment. What needs to happen as far as his game acclimating into the lineup when he comes back to make sure he and then obviously the team have the most success that that both can have? You know what, I almost feel like, you know, he's had such a struggle shooting the ball um, and and yet still, you know, taking a lot of shots. I almost wonder as he watches this team play, and it might be, you know, heaven sent for him to take a break and, and sit back and watch just to get everything kind of sorted out. I've been one that said that career data points will catch up, and he certainly played below what he's done throughout his career. But this little time for him to watch might be exactly what he needs to understand. Maybe this team doesn't even need to shoot as much or score as much because I've got guys all around me that can do that. And just look at the ways, you know, that he, you know, using different skill sets, you know, certainly got to shoot wide open shots and he's got to push the ball in transition. Um, But what else can I do to get everybody else a little bit more involved um, and that's what I think needs to happen overall. I think this whole where the Jazz are is there's no time. There's not the time to panic. Um, it's a long season, and I know that that's cliche, but it's true. And really beyond the Lakers and Minnesota, everybody else is kind of losing five, six, seven games. So right now it's just a matter of trying to get your um, trying to get your team to be, you know, to start to function better and Conley coming in and maybe being a little less aggressive to score and maybe more to make plays along the way, maybe that will help some things. Former BYU assistant Tim Lacombe joining us. He's on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. Uh, one thing that's been frustrating with the offense, and you know they brought in 10 new players, it's two-thirds of the team, and you probably, as a college coach, go through this more often because the turnover, nobody's there more than four years, and at BYU you also have guys coming and going with missions. So when you were coaching, did you guys watch the offense run and think, well, that's not what it's supposed to look like? But the players don't know because they haven't been there. And you know, and I'm wondering if that's what Quinn's going through because last night I thought they passed the ball, they moved. It looked like what it's supposed to look like. And there have been too many games, too many possessions where too much dribbling, getting in the offense late, not enough passes, not moving the ball side to side, and just – it doesn't look right, so of course it ends up with a four shot and a miss shot and everyone getting frustrated. Have you been yeah, seeing for sure. that? Yeah, I, I can to- totally relate to that. And, you know, the funny thing about offense itself is there's so many elements that have to be good. But in just watching the difference between the Oklahoma City game, and, and again, we, I usually use the word pace, but pace doesn't always apply to the guy with the ball in my mind. I feel like. Jazz run a lot of pin downs, so Rudy will go down, set a down screen to initiate the offense. And, you know, a lot of times it's Bogey coming off the pick, off that pin down, and how Bogey comes off the pin down really sets the tone for for how the offensive possession is going to be. If he just kind of allows guys coming off that thing um, and allows his defender to get through the screen and there's nowhere to go with the ball, well, you're already against, you know, against the clock. But if he sets his guy up and he comes hard off that curl and he creates an opening for them, Rudy to get the ball or Rudy to hand the ball off to Donovan, now you've got guys in a blender. Now you've got guys behind the play or you've got two on the ball. 
But if you don't come off, you know, your cuts aren't sharp, um, even simply a pass to the wing and cut to the corner, if that's not sharp and guys aren't getting out of the way, um, then timing gets, you know, disrupted. And I certainly believe that's, you know, that's got to be a frustration for, for the staff at times because it's, yeah, they know how this thing's supposed to run and work, but right now they're just not seeing it all fire. And there's so many different things you've got to do to kind of clean that up. So much time do you give them before they're hitting their peak? I think, and we, we talked about it last night, there was a, there was a stat thrown up during the, the game, but um, I didn't realize the next 20 games they're going to play 15 teams under 500, and they're going to play an average schedule in the next 20 of uh, strength of schedule of 30 in the NBA. And then during that 20 game stretch, they have zero back to backs. So my feeling is over the next 20 games, you're going to see um, a, a real shift because I think that the message is clear. The guys were talking about it after the game and that's such a huge part. You, you got to have a message that you believe in as a coach, then you have to give it to your guys. And then the biggest piece is they have to adopt it. And I think sandwich that, that Oklahoma City game sandwiched between Memphis and the game last night um, at Minnesota and the two different results and the two different ways the guys fell after both games, I think that message is coming through. So I think over the next 20 games, they'll, uh, you're going to start to see things take over, guys getting a little bit more healthy, rotations set a little better. Um, but my, goal, my feeling is over the next 20, they'll make a move. You know, there's always the, do you kick him in the butt or pat him on the back? And you saw how Rick Majerus did it when you were in the Utah program. You saw how oh, Judd... definitely a pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you saw how Juddy and Donnie talked to guys. Uh, and then you were with Dave Rose. And you see, you know, it's different. So you've got all these different experiences. And I'm wondering with Quinn right now, if you were Quinn, would you go into a film session and show guys stuff in the Minnesota game they need to clean up? Or would you go in and show them a bunch of good possessions where the ball moved and resulted in a good shot and send it like it needs keep doing this. This is what is going to work. Which way would you handle it going forward? Mentally, where do you think the team is? Um, well, I think they're a mature team. Even though they've got a, new, a bunch of new pieces, I think their character and maturity is really good. Um, I really watch I'm, games. I'm crazy. I watch benches and body language. And I have not seen, you know, any concerning signs. I think they've got good guys in, in the right spots. Um, but I still believe that there's just like a, like anything, I think there's a time and a place for you to maybe ramp up the energy. And I'm sure that's been done. Um, but to me, it seems like one of Quinn's great traits and his staff is their communication. Um, I love to watch during a game as he pulls guys out or timeouts, just the way a lot of one-on-one explaining stuff to guys. Um, so I think this day and age and probably the current NBA, there's a lot more showing um, successful possessions and then trying to tailor your play after that. I'm of the opinion that Mitchell needs to be a little bit nastier. What do you think? Um, you said a little bit more nasty. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he's, you know, the one thing about Donovan, he's such a good guy. I know. Sometimes it's hard be more to like that. me. 
that's I don't know that he needs to go that far. I mean, we don't need to say Rudy and Lucifer are running the pick two. and roll. Ha, how would that mm-hmm. not be the best bowler call ever? Rudy and Lucifer going to the right pick now, and roll. <laughs> guarding that Lucifer Rudy pick and roll is straight hell. I'm just going to tell you. Was Jordan you know, a nice guy? Smart. Come on. Um, you no, know, I, I think there's always a level of, of you know, I think that's one thing I love about Joe is he seems like a nice dude, but he's got, he always got something to say. And, you know, Donovan's still learning. I, I, I don't know if I want to throw one more thing on him because he's doing everything. Like last night was so awesome the way he kind of decided, you know, he learned from Oklahoma City. He didn't try to force too much. And it's a fine line because you need him to force some. Um, but you don't want it to get out of hand because that becomes contagious and then it's bar the door, right? So um, I, I'm okay with where Donovan is. I think that I think that he's ultimately really competitive, and I love that part. Uh, and that's the part that I, that's really important. He does care what the score is. I say come back after the new year with a Tupac tat on his bicep. I'd go with it. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't. Certainly, I'm, I don't judge. If you want a tattoo, throw it on. Oh, I would judge. I would judge. That would be awesome. It's a new me, a new year, a new me. He's embracing Check old. Check out Tupac, man. <laughs> he's, in, he's embracing. You realize if he came and had a show, we'd never talk about anything but stupid stuff that we'd laugh <laughs> at. And everybody else would be like, what in the world is going on in there? Okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that could work. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. I've been doing it for 18 years. <laughs> we just got to get DJ out of the road. Any ideas? Get him out of the room? No, just get him out of the way. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> put an omelet next Uh-oh. door. He'll be gone. <laughs> get somebody yeah, but only for pro bono work. Only get for somebody about, do a little pro bono work for me with DJ there. Only about 25 seconds. Yeah, we'll just yeah. have a, a, conveyor a conveyor belt of belt. omelets. Second breakfast is coming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, DJ, you want to go for a little ride? Hop in the back. It's fine. The trunk. Why are we going to the Great Salt Lake? Because uh, there's uh, some cool alpaca out there. See, this is what it would be. We just this, got off topic. This is basically it. So now we have to bring up the incredibly obvious that nobody wants to address. Uh, did they really figure something out, or was this a little bit of fool's gold because it's Minnesota, they lost 10 out of 13, and uh, come on, let's not oversell this. I think they figured something out. Um, the one thing that I really truly believe is that everybody got way, way ahead of themselves. Uh, which happens all the time with fan bases. But um, they went out and signed a bunch of known commodities guys that, like, I guess, Conley more than anything. Um, but I, I do believe that there was a ton of undue expectation put on them to, you know, everybody's talking about them winning the West. And it really was, are the Jazz going to take first or second? And uh, I do believe that every season you've got, I mean, nobody just flies, very very few teams just fly through seasons without a whole lot of hiccups. And I do think that Quinn, as much as it's hard to go through, this, he probably loves problem solving as much as every coach. That's why we're all crazy, because you hate being in this situation, but you love it at the same time because it gives you an opportunity to do what you do. Um, and I do think he's great at it. Uh, so just some adjustments, guys getting better. Guys understanding what is ultimately wanted, you know, the whole concept of good to great um, and just being able to 
kind of right the ship. And I do think at the end of the day, are they going to win the West? I don't think so. Um, I mean, there's some good teams out there. But will the Jazz put themselves in a really good position for the playoffs? My feeling is yes. Well, I will say that they encouraged those expectations by starting 11-5 and because I didn't think they were going to do that. So that was one thing. And then I think the other thing is what you said, nobody flies through the season. I didn't know the Lakers were going to do this right out of the gate. No, I didn't either. In fact, you know, in the pre-NBA pre-show, preseason show, and I was just happened to drive around town, but I heard our boy uh, hands on the radio picked the Lakers to win the West, and I about drove off the road because I was laughing so hard. You know, at that point in time, it was just like, again, I felt like that's what everybody, okay, now they've got AD, which I understand. Like, the guy's amazing, and they got LeBron, but then what? And uh, I, I did not expect them to be where they are right now. Hey, quickly, uh, as far as the Cougars, I think they're playing better than we expected. I'm wondering it's because it's two things. It's uh, the fact that the guys are seniors, they got better talent, and they're more mature, and obviously they got better assistant coaching. Well, the latter part for sure. Um, you know, it is it was an absolute just crap show over there last year with the, the assistants, from what I understand. Yeah, just insider knowledge. <laughs> Um, you know, Kamard was just horrible, and <laughs> I think the Lacombe guy was solid, but he was constantly trying to get Kamard to do the right thing. So, good luck on that. Um, no, in on in all honesty, man, I'm telling you right now, this BYU team's playing as good as BYU basketball played in years, yeah. and I think that it's exactly what we're talking about with the Jazz. It's and Coach Pope and his staff have done an amazing job of basically what we're talking about with the Jazz, every single guy just doing what they do really well. And no one gives uh, any kind of – no one cares who scores. No one cares. But, but as a collective unit, they want to win. And I'm telling you, once you get to that point, it's so fun. Because watching this BYU team has been so fun to watch. It's been interesting because, you know, we recruited all those guys. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of watch them grow, but then it's to be away from it and just flip it on TV and watch them. And I can't, you know, at this point in the season, I can't give Coach Pope and the, the staff enough credit. I think they've done a an amazing job of getting this team together, but also the credit goes to the players because those guys are they are tough, they're battling, um, you know, they've stepped up their game defensively. But the most important thing is they're playing really selfless basketball, and they make it look easy. But that's what happens when you click that threshold of just playing, reading the defense, and making them making any decision they make wrong, because that's what you can do in basketball. It's just like you know checkers or chess; it's a numbers game. Um, they they really have a great flow to them and a good pace to them. In the last two games, like I say, I don't know that I've seen BYU play that well in quite some time. Why is the defense so much better? You had so many games where it had to frustrate you. You give up 80 and you lose. You played well enough offensively. You couldn't stop anybody. And to beat Nevada 75-42, I couldn't believe the 42 number. Yeah, you know what? A big part of it, too, though, is in my mind, is uh, every single shot they take, um, the guys know it's coming. I think it comes back to maybe some some better discipline and shot selection because – then you can handle the transition opportunities a little better. Sometimes you get down there and take a tough shot. Guys aren't expecting it. The floor's out of balance. Um, and that happened from time to time. But 
I agree with you. I just I just think that the collective mindset to get a stop. Um, and I've been super impressed because a lot of times they're undersized against teams they're playing against, and you don't see any kind of sign of that on the boards at all. Um, they've got a great mindset to kind of gain rebound. So minus the, uh, you know, I felt like the one game that was a little bit of a hiccup was the Utah game because they really they kind of had that game in control for a long time and then got away from them. Similar to like the San Francisco game for us last year, and it's one you look back on and like, how did we lose that game? But beyond that, you know, I feel like they they played Kansas tough, and Boise is a tough place to play. You know, it's always kind of a little bit of flip a coin. Uh, the San Diego State's proven to be a phenomenal team. I think that goes back to the roots of young DJ James, you know, being in the city and getting some pride there in the Aztecs. Um, I like it, but. Been very, very impressed. Oh, very, I mean, remarkably impressed with what BYU's doing right now. Well, we appreciate a few minutes, Tim. Thanks for joining us. It's always good to be with you guys. There's Tim Lacombe. He was in the Utah basketball program. He was assistant coach at BYU and now is on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. When we come back, the first press conference, Kyle Whittingham speaks for the first time since the bowl matchup was announced. It's Utah. It's Texas. It's the Alamo Bowl. You're going to hear from the coaches, Kyle Whittingham and Tom Herman, next. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, New Year's Eve. It's the Alamo Bowl. It's the Utes going for win number 12 against the 7-5 Texas team. First press conference for the Alamo Bowl. Kyle Whittingham, Tom Herman, meeting with the media. We'll let you listen in right now. So, Coach Whittingham, on behalf of the Valero Alamo Bowl, we're thrilled to have you, and welcome to Utes to San Antonio. I'll turn it over to you for an opening statement. Okay, we'll appreciate that. And uh, our team is uh, absolutely excited to be to be playing in this game. Um, you know, we've heard nothing but great things about the, the bowl experience here and the way you're treated and the hospitality. And so, uh, you know, we're going to be uh, looking forward to the opportunity. Um, you know, we have a pretty good track record uh, in bowl games, and so our guys really take the bowl season uh, very seriously and, and work hard. And, and uh, we've got a great opponent here in Texas. They got a, haven't had a chance to dive into the film yet, but uh, I know they got weapons and, and uh, quarterback is a tremendous player. Got a receiver with over 100 catches and over 1,200 yards. Uh, you know, played a played LSU to a one-score ball game, Oklahoma to a one-score ball game. So we know we got an absolute uh, challenge on our hands. But uh, our guys will be excited and ready, and and we can't wait to get down here. On uh, we're coming down the uh, Christmas Day Eve and and uh, spend a week down here. So we're looking forward to it. Awesome, we look forward to that. Thank you, Coach Whittingham. And, and now let's talk to the University of Head Coach Tom Herman. This is Coach Herman's third season as the head coach of the Longhorns. He led Texas to a third-place finish in the Pac-12 this season, beating two ranked Big 12 opponents and coming within a score of two CFP teams, number one LSU and number four Oklahoma. In his first two seasons at Texas, Coach Herman led the Longhorns to victories in the Texas and Sugar Bowls, and Herman has spent his first two years as the head coach at the University of Houston. The Cougars went bowling both years, highlighted by the Peach Bowl win to cap off a 13-1 season in 2015. So, Coach Urban, on behalf of the Valero Alamo Bowl, welcome to San Antonio. I'll turn it over to you for an opening statement. Uh, again, uh, pardon me. Um, uh, again, really excited uh, to be in a bowl game in our home state. 
Um, I, like Coach Whittingham, we, we have heard nothing but great things about the experience uh, for our players here. Uh, I know our guys um, get excited for bowl games. Uh, much like Coach Whittingham, we, we've had a, a pretty good track record uh, when, when we go bowling, and um, I, I think our guys are excited to, to get to work in preparation. Uh, you don't win 11 games by accident. Uh, coach Whittingham's an, an excellent coach. He's got a great staff and really good players. And uh, as he said, uh, on the road recruiting, you don't have a whole lot of time to, to dive into the film. But uh, I, I do know that uh, you know he's got a tremendous rushing attack on, on offense and his defense, uh, like every other year it seems, um, is, is very physical, very aggressive, and um, uh, very good at uh, defending the run and um, uh, very good at playing man coverage. So uh, we've, we've got a big-time challenge on our hand, but um, beyond the game, uh, we are extremely excited uh, to be in San Antonio. I know it's uh, going to be very convenient for our fans to come cheer us on, uh, and uh, I know our players will certainly enjoy the experience down here uh, for the six, seven days that we're down here. Great. For media that are on site today, please do raise hand, announce your name and affiliation. We'll bring a mic holder uh, over, and you can ask if you're on uh, the call. It is zero one, and if you're on social media, we also we've taken some questions using hashtag #BelairAlamoBowl. Do we have a first question for you, the coaches? Front left. Yeah, yeah, Brian Davis from the Austin American Statesman. Both of you guys have great quarterbacks. Maybe you could both of you talk about uh, each one of your guys and, and what they bring to this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Sam Ellinger is, is certainly the, the gas that makes our engine go, not just offensively, but as a team. A phenomenal leader. Um, you know, he's a 3.8 GPA student in the Macomb School of Business um, uh, and already uh, part of a, a, a startup business. Uh, so he's, a, uh, as I like to say, a marry-your-daughter kind of kid. And um, uh, we uh, go as he goes, and he's had a tremendous season. Uh, as I've said, I think he finished sixth in the country in passing yards uh, this season. Uh, obviously, uh, we've got some talent around him uh, at receiver, but um, he, he's much more to our team than, than just a guy who throws the football and hands it off. He's the, the heart and soul of, of who we are and uh, is really uh, – a daily embodiment uh, of our culture and, and how we do things. Yeah, as far as Tyler Huntley, a lot of the same, there's a lot of common ground there. Um, he is the leader of the leaders. You know, you have a team that, that uh, you know, most teams have, uh, you know, a bunch of leaders, but, but there's usually one guy that everybody looks to, and, and, and Tyler is that guy. Uh, he's been in the program four years now, uh, absolutely playing his best football uh, of his career. Uh, was in the Heisman conversation for a while there. Um, tremendous completion percentage, 75% completion percentage. Only threw two picks during the regular season. Uh, fortunately, we had a couple in the championship game. But, but he's a, a guy that uh, is a fanatical preparer for a football game. It, it never stops. We're eight minutes out from kickoff, and he's in the locker room in his book, taking notes and and jotting things down. And just a, a relentless uh, preparer. He's a competitive kid and a tough kid. He went through a stretch uh, mid-season where I'm going to tell you, most people would not have played, missed two or three weeks, he didn't miss a snap, and, and just kept uh, continuing to battle. And so he's meant so much to us, 
Uh, and very, very rarely do you find a good football team that doesn't have really good quarterback play, and we're, we're fortunate to uh, have had that from Tyra this season. A uh, question for both coaches, Anwar Richardson um, from Orange Blood. Coach, you guys have both have had success in the postseason, especially in bowl games. How do you guys balance letting the young men have fun and enjoy themselves while in a new city, but this also being a, a road trip and a business trip for them also? Well, that's the operative word is balance, and you, and you try to you got to make it a good experience for them. It can't be all uh, just uh, drudgery and, and uh, beating them into the ground. And so you've got to be able to to strike that balance and, and make it a, a good experience for them. Um, you know, we have a, a tradition at Utah. The bowl the bowl season is very important to our guys, and it, it almost self perpetuates you know from year to year because the the next group doesn't want to be the group that let the previous groups down in, in bowl play and so it's not hard at all to get uh, get our guys excited about playing in a bowl but but uh, you know you're, you're exactly right it's got to be uh, you know there's a time for football and a time to, to work hard and practice but there's also a time to have a lot of fun and, and let it be a great experience for them and I, I think the same thing is true um, you know we have a lot of fun. Uh, during bowl preparation, not just at the site and with the activities that, that the bowl provides, but, but even before uh, we head to uh, the site. We, we've got a lot of fun, uh, have a lot of fun uh, when we're practicing. I think, um, you know, once finals are, are over, the kids can, uh, you know, take a big, deep breath and uh, allow us to, to go in and, and um, uh really bond. I think that the bowl experience, uh, because there's no classes, um, it's a, mu- it's much like training camp in the fact that, um, you know, you, you, all you're doing really is, is, is playing football, practicing football, preparing, uh, to win a game. But, um, you know, you're, you're around your teammates so much more than, than you are during the regular season. And, um, I, I think, but much like Coach Whittingham said it's about balance, you know, and, and um, you know, we're, we're trying to win a football game too, but um, I, I do think, um, you know, the, the motivation a lot of times also is uh, twofold. Uh, one is, is for the senior class and to make sure that um, they go out uh, their last game uh, as a Texas Longhorn uh, victorious, uh, but, but also – uh, to propel some of those younger guys uh, into uh, the off season and, and have some some positivity as you as you head into winter conditioning. Chip Brown, excuse me, Chip Brown of Horns twenty four seven. Kyle, can you talk about what Morgan Scally uh, means to your team as a player there, and I think he's grown up there as a coach. Uh, See y'all released that he's got a new a new deal, and then for Tom, just what the message has been to your current roster and the feedback back from them since you made the decision to uh, replace both coordinators. Yeah, well, I can't say enough good things about Morgan Scowley. He's uh, you know when he was a player here, uh, just a fierce competitor. Uh, he was the Mountain. We were in the Mountain West Conference at the time. He was the Defensive Player of the Year, uh, MVP of the Sugar Bowl. I believe it was in, or not the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, just a, a competitive spirit and a competitive fire that is second to none, and that transformed and, and, and translated to his coaching career. Um, you know, he's 
for a lot of years, he's been really the face of Utah football. I mean, he's a, he's a homegrown guy right there from Salt Lake City. Uh, immediately after he finished playing, we, we hired him on the staff in a, in a, uh, a role that was, uh, you know, he wasn't a full-time coach, but, but he was on the staff and uh, working with the program. Uh, as soon as I had the opportunity and the opening on the staff to hire him full-time, we did so. Uh, and his, his coaching, uh, just the progress that he's made and, the, and, and where he is right now, he's been our coordinator for four years. He gets exponentially better every single year. And, and uh, this year, you know, the, the defense he was able to, uh, to uh, coach and put on the field was tremendous. I mean, the top ten in virtually every defensive category. And so to be able to uh, get him locked up for the long term contractually and, uh, you know, Utah's where he wants to be. Um, and so we're, we're elated that, uh, and, and grateful to our administration for, for making that move and, and putting the contract in place. And that will keep him in Utah for hopefully a, a lot of years. Uh, yeah, and you asked about the, the team and the players. Uh, I, I think there was um, a little bit of balance uh, between accountability, uh, especially on the defensive side, um, you know, uh, they all love uh, Coach Orlando, as, as do I and, and my family, and, and we always will. Um, and so the, the players, there was a lot of them that, that felt like they had, had let him down. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of um, uh, positivity, a lot of excitement about uh, what the future can, can hold. I think they all know that uh, especially on, on the defensive side of the ball, that the, the level of play consistently was, was not uh, to the standard of the University of Texas and uh, that it needs to improve. Uh, and I, I think they were uh, very appreciative of uh, myself and our administration uh, for uh, addressing that fact and um, you know, making sure that, that we play better. Uh, and produce at a much higher level on, on that side of the ball. Question in the back. Chris Tavares with KXA News in Austin. Uh, two questions, Tom, one just for you. The coaching changes, how have you seen that play out on the recruiting trail, and, and how are you feeling with the national early period starting on Wednesday? And then for both of you, you're both Urban Meyer protégés. What are you seeing in the other from, from your time working under, uh, under Urban Meyer? Yeah, the, the recruiting trail has been great. Um, you know, our, our class is extremely solid, and, and really, it's it's much it's a much simpler discussion uh, with recruits than I think people realize. You know, um, assistant coaches want to be coordinators, and coordinators want to be head coaches, and uh, to think uh, that you're going to play for the same position coach and or coordinator for your entire career uh, that's pretty rare. Um, and so uh, the, the trust has to be in myself as the leader of the organization, the strength staff, uh, and then really all of the other reasons why you commit to, to a place like the University of Texas. You commit to Texas uh, to, to get an elite education, you know, one of the top public schools in the entire country, uh, to lay some roots in the number one city in America in Austin, Texas, um, and to develop a to develop a network um, of very powerful people that uh, can provide opportunities for you uh, 
uh, once you're done playing football. Uh, and to the Coach Meyer question, um, you know, obviously, from what I've heard of, of Coach Whittingham's program um, and what the very little I've seen, uh, certainly uh, the, the physicality element is, is one that stands out. Um, I know that we pride ourselves in, in being physical, and I'm, I'm sure he does too. Uh, and I know in my time with Coach Meyer, uh, that was certainly a big point of emphasis uh, too. But um, I'm sure over the, the seven days when we're together, we'll, we'll probably have a lot of stories that, that, that we can share. But uh, tremendously thankful uh, to Coach Meyer for um, his mentorship and the opportunity he gave me at Ohio State. and. Um, I'm sure Coach Whittingham feels the same. Yeah, as far as uh, Urban, uh, you know, you, you taking him taking him back to 2002, we had a coaching change. I was on the staff at Utah. We had a coaching change. Uh, Coach Ron McBride, who had been there several years, uh, was let go. Uh, I felt like I was the next guy. I was I was ready for it. And uh, when Urban got hired, I was disappointed because I thought, like I said, I was I was uh, prepared for to, to take that on. As it turned out, uh, it was the best, the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, just to be able to work for Urban for those two years, he, he retained me as the coordinator, uh, was invaluable to, to my development as a coach. Uh, his meticulous approach, uh, his, his detailed, um, just everything that, that, he, uh, that goes into running a, a football program on a daily basis, was, uh, you know, was, I was able to observe that and, and, and work through that. And so, like I said, two years later, I was a much better coach than, than when, uh, you know, before Urban got there and, and uh, continue to stay uh, close friends with Urban. You know, to this day, we talk, uh, you know, every couple of weeks. But, uh, again, can't, can't express enough gratitude for what, what I learned during that uh, course of that two years. And, and uh, it was uh, a huge benefit to my, you know, to my career. We'll take a call now from the conference. The next person will now ask a question. You confirm your name and affiliation and direct your uh, question to either of the coaches, please. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, Josh Newman from the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, Kyle, I know that you've already addressed this morning about whether or not players have come to you talking about maybe skipping the ball game. Um, my question for both coaches, um, would it be tough to blame a kid if one if one did come to you opting to skip the ball game, opting to worry about, you know, the combine and working out. Would it be tough to blame a kid for worrying about himself at this point? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll defer, then I can just say, yeah, what Tom said. <laughs> yeah. um, I think blame is a strong word. Uh, I, I think as, as coaches we certainly understand uh, that some of these players uh, have to make decisions that um, they feel are – uh, right for their future, uh, and you know, once that decision is made, uh, we support them. Uh, but uh, you know, we have always advised our guys to play in the bowl game. Uh, one to be able to, to travel and experience the bowl game, uh, but but two to um, you know prove to the NFL you know how good a team player you are too. So, um, but uh, again, we're we're not the only ones advising them and um you know but once they do make that decision uh we, we certainly uh, support them uh you know in, in all of their endeavors yeah we're I, i'm of the same mindset um see <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> there, you go. there you go 
uh, you know, and, and it depends, uh, you know, a lot to, you know, if a kid's a, a first five picks or a first ten picks, that's different than, you know, maybe your second or third rounder. So each individual situation has to be, uh, you know, weighed separately and, and judged separately. But, but I'm of the same opinion that, uh, you know, it's a different day and age, first of all. I mean, this wasn't even a topic, you know, a few years back. And so things have really changed. But, but if uh, an athlete is, uh, you know, definitely want to, forego the bowl season and, and move on, then, you know, we'll support them as well. I don't necessarily agree with it all the time, but, uh, you know, the, the main thing to me is they're listening to the right people. Coach mentioned that we're not the only ones in their ear, and so as long as they're getting good information and making the decision that is, uh, you know, the right one, because uh, I, I believe more times than not you can help your draft, your draft stock by playing in the game and, and uh, finishing your career, but, but uh, again, it's uh, a different dynamic that's been introduced just, just recently, and and I think coaches are still trying to get their, their head wrapped around it and what the, what the best approach is. Thank you, coaches. We have another conference call. The next person will now ask a question. Uh, confirm your name and affiliation and ask your question to one of the coaches. This is Kurt Cragthorpe from the Salt Lake Tribune. Kyle, do you have any players that have been ruled out of the game due to injury at this stage? Yeah, we, we uh, lost our two safeties, uh, first and second team free safety, in you know, almost – you know, within minutes of each other, and that was uh, Julian Blackman and R.J. Hubert uh, to, to season-ending injuries, although, you know, there's only one game left now, but uh, fairly serious injuries, and so we're it's disappointing. Uh, we'll have to uh, figure out a, a course of action, but uh, unfortunately, Julian and R.J. Hubert uh, won't be available. Uh, beyond that, everyone seems to be in pretty good health. Thank you. We also have some hashtag Valera Elmable questions. Uh, speaking of health, Coach Herman, Colin Johnson, can you give us an update on possibly him playing the bowl game? Yeah, he's uh, progressing. Uh, as I told our local media, uh, we expect him to be ready to play, uh, and uh, he will, uh, if he continues to progress the way that he has, uh, hopefully we, we get him back into practice uh, sometime next week. And we had another social media. This is actually for you, Coach Whittingham. Um, I've worked out for six straight days. What is your workout streak, and how do you stay motivated? Uh, it's kind of a sickness now. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've been uh, doing it for uh, a while. Um, so, what do you want to know? How many days I've done it, or what's your? I think it was how many days you've done it, and how do you keep motivated? Uh, well, it keeps me sane. If I didn't do it, I'd go insane. It's more for a mental deal than than physical. But uh, we're right around four thousand days, give or take. So, leave it at that. I try to. I Straight try, days. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to constantly. That's real. That's real. That's real. <laughs> Like I said, it's, it's an illness. It's a mental illness. But I, I'm like walking, running, what? Yeah, all, you know, running, elliptical, stair step, you name it, swimming, you know, something every day. 4,000. 4,000. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Very good, Coach. Yeah, I'm, trying to out, I'm try, constantly trying to outwork my diet, which is hard to do. Yeah, that's the main thrust. There's Kyle Whittingham and Tom Herman, the head coaches, heading up to Utah and Texas in the Alamo Bowl. PK and I'll be right back with What is Trending next.